in the state soliciting sales, which I think is what Congress had envisioned when they enacted 86-272. The FTB is saying, no, if you are not in the state at all, but you just have a passive website, you will be still considered to be protected by 86-272. You are listening to US Tax, a podcast for Australian accountants with US clients. Welcome to US Update 28 of US Tax about PL 86272, Public Law 86272. This is Heide Robson. We already mentioned PL 86272 a number of times in past episodes. Francis Ellington mentioned it and then also Ed Entelin. Today, let's drill deeper because losing the protection that PL 86272 grants can cost you a lot of money in state income taxes. While PL 86272 is a federal law and so applies to all 50 states, let's discuss the technical advice memorandum California's Franchise Tax Board issued. Because California is trying to limit the application of PL 86272 and chances are that other states will follow suit. And just one comment on the side. The State Revenue Office in California is called the Franchise Tax Board. In short, FTB. So when Ed talks about the FTB, he means the California Franchise Tax Board. So here's Edwin Antelin of Vallejo Antelin Agaval Kenta, or in short WAC, in Walnut Creek, California, about California's technical advice memorandum to PL 86-272. PL 86-272. Is that something that only applies to California? So, for example, if I talk to somebody in Washington and I talk about PL 86-272, would they stare at me with blank eyes and not know what I'm talking about? Or is this a term that, that is known across the U.S.? Well, it's not a widely known term, but it is a federal law. Public Law 86-272 is enacted by Congress, so it's not a California-specific. It's federal. Yes, it is a United States rule. But to your example, if you were to speak to someone in Washington state, they may or may not be familiar with 86-272. And the reason is 86-272 only applies to net income taxes, and Washington state doesn't impose a net income tax. So there's a reason why folks in Washington may not be familiar with 86-272, because it doesn't apply in that state, but someone in Oregon, which does have an income tax, they, they would be familiar or should be familiar with Public Law 86-272. Could you outline what 86-272 is about? Sure. So again, it's a federal law. It was enacted in 1959, a little bit of history. And originally, it was intended to be a temporary measure in response to a U.S. Supreme Court case that essentially said that if you have a corporation selling and you have salespeople in a state and they are soliciting sales, that's enough to cause the state to be able to impose an income tax on that out-of-state corporation. At the time, that was somewhat surprising. So Congress stepped in very quickly with Public Law 86-272, which was intended to be a temporary measure until Congress enacted something more sweeping in the area of state taxation. Well, Congress never did enact more sweeping legislation. They did consider it in the 60s, but nothing got enacted. But as a result of that history, we have 86-272 that continues to this day, even though it was never intended to last more than several years. What it provides for is 
and it only applies to income tax. It says that a state may not impose a net income tax on a corporation or a person, could be an individual, if your only activity in the state is the solicitation of orders for tangible personal property, and those orders are sent outside the state for approval, and then those orders are fulfilled from outside the state. So it's a pretty powerful piece of federal legislation, but it's limited in some ways. It only applies to taxes on net income. So it doesn't apply to sales taxes, which are on gross receipts. It doesn't apply to gross revenue taxes like they have in Washington state, for example, or Ohio. It only applies to sales of tangible personal property. So if you are selling sneakers, great, you may be protected by 86272. But if you are a lawyer providing legal services, you are not going to be protected by 86272. And so PL 86272 protects you both from physical nexus and from economic nexus or any other nexus. Yeah, if you are physically present in a state, 86272 may not apply. It applies if your only activity in the state is the solicitation of sales. So if you are a company with salespeople in California and you're based outside of California and your salespeople are soliciting orders for your tangible personal property items, then 86272 would protect you. But if you open a store or if you have employees in California that do not solicit orders for tangible personal property, they do warranty work or they do other things, you would lose the protection of 86272. So the takeaway is 86272 allows some level of presence in a state, but that presence and those activities related to that presence have to be limited to the solicitation of sales or orders in the state. So that means it doesn't protect us if we have a physical nexus to California, and it only protects us for a certain part of the economic nexus. If you go back to the economic nexus, it was if we pass a certain threshold of sales, if we pass a certain threshold of payroll, a certain threshold of real or personal property, or 25% of any of this. So the um, PL 86272 protects us if we pass the threshold of sales. And that's the only reason why we have an economic nexus. It doesn't protect us if we hit the threshold of payroll. It doesn't protect us if we hit the threshold of property. It protects us if the economic nexus is based on 25% of sales. But again, it doesn't protect us if the economic nexus is based on 25% of payroll or property. Correct? Almost everything you said, I agree with. The only modification I would make is for the payroll piece, If the payroll is for salespeople in the state who are soliciting, then I think you would still be protected, even if you were in excess of the $67,000 of payroll expense in California. I think if those individuals are only soliciting sales and you have that payroll in California, 86272 would still apply. Yes, good point. California has issued a technical memorandum regarding 86272 that tries to clarify it more and probably tries to rein it in more. And I was wondering whether we could go through the examples that it lists. It's 2022-01. 22-01. I think I found it from the franchise tax board. Yes. Just bringing it up. 
I think in total there are 11 or 12 examples. So the FTB is providing this guidance. Now, this is not technically law. It's just really their views of how they would interpret Public Law 86-272. But some of this has never been tested by a court to tell us, you know, is FTB's view right or wrong? So with that caveat, I kind of think of that, this, this technical advice memorandum, which is a document from the Franchise Tax Board legal department to their auditors to give them guidance. I kind of break it up into two pieces. There are the activities that the FTB says are okay and would not cause you to lose the protection of 86-272. And then there are the activities, which are most of them in this technical advice memorandum, which are not okay and would cause you to lose the protection of 86 272. And they kind of go in order nicely. So examples one through nine are the patterns that are not okay. And then 10, 11, 12 are the um, fact patterns that are okay in the view of the FTB. And I'll just kind of summarize. So example number one, having an employee who telecommutes from California on a regular basis performing non-sales solicitation activities. So this is a physical presence. You have an employee in the state and that employee's activities are not the solicitation of orders for sales of tangible personal property. So I'm not surprised by that, just having someone in California. I think they put it in here because of the rise of people who work from home and can work from anywhere these days. And so I think for businesses that rely on Public Law 86272, this is a reminder that if you have employees who are not working in the office and they're working at remote locations, it's important to understand where they are working because it might cause you to lose the protection of 86272. Fact pattern number two, you have a business that regularly provides post-sale assistance to California customers through an electronic chat or email that customers initiate by clicking on an icon on the business website. Now, this I, I find somewhat aggressive. In this scenario, the out-of-state seller is not physically in California, but they are interacting with the in-state customer through email or through electronic chat. It is questionable to me whether that is a sufficient activity to even have jurisdiction in the first place, I guess. I, I, think I can see arguments on both sides, but does that constitute an activity in California that is outside the solicitation of sales? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that is an activity in California. So I'm not sure I agree with fact pattern number two, but it does demonstrate how aggressively the FTB is interpreting Public Law 86272 and trying to limit its scope as much as possible. So with example one, if, for example, you are a startup in Nevada, because I think, for example, Salt Lake City starts having a startup scene. If you are a startup in Nevada and you have quite a few developers or software engineers telecommuting into your startup from California, this Nevada startup runs the risk that they might start having taxable sales in California. It basically just means then that the economic nexus comes back in. So then you start having an economic nexus again. And so then you just start paying income tax on your proportion of Californian sourced sales. That is right. And it goes both ways. Let's say in your scenario, you have a business in California but you have employees who are telecommunicating from many other states. 
if you have an employee in those other states now, maybe when you send your goods to customers in those other states, you will be treated as being taxable in those other states. So the sales will not be thrown back to California. So take a step back. There is an interaction between the public law 86-272 and the throwback rule because often a seller, a business in California is selling goods to customers in other states. If public law 86-272 applies, then they may not be taxable in that other state. So then you have throwback of those sales to California. But with this new TAM, if you are selling goods to customers in that other state, but you have an employee who is telecommuting in that other state, then the sales will not be thrown back to California. So there could be a benefit to California-based customers from some of these examples in this technical advice memorandum that seem to limit the application of Public Law 86-272. While it may not be great for out-of-state sellers who are trying to take advantage of the protection of 86-272 to avoid paying California income tax, it could be beneficial to California-based sellers who are selling outside the state and now can point to this technical advice memorandum as a basis to say, look, now we don't have 86-272 protection in these other states because we do email post-sale assistance or chat assistance. And so therefore the sales that we before were throwing back to California, now we don't have to throw back and they're just out there. Yes. And that comment basically applies to all nine examples, example one to nine, that limit the application of PL 86-272 in that It can work for you and it can work against you. Yes, depending on whether you're selling from California or selling from another state into California. Exactly. And then coming back to example one and two. So with example one, we had said, be careful where your employees are working from when they are working from home, which state they are in. And then the second example, I think mainly applies if you have a complicated product correct, that requires post-sale assistance. If you have a consumer product that doesn't require any assistance afterwards, then you should be fine. I think so. I think so. The FTB has long taken a dim view of anything post-sale, it says, is not related to the solicitation of the order because the order is already completed. I think that's probably right, a right reading of Public Law 86-272. Post-sale activities are not part of solicitation because the solicitation and order has already been completed. I think that's their view. Yes, except if you have a complaint. So for example, when you have received 40 products and so you deal with the uh, customer after that, then that is fine, correct? Because that is still about the sale. It could be, but I think if you've made the sale and then a week later the customer calls you, I think FTB might still take the view that that is post-solicitation or non-solicitation in its nature. Oh, really? So having lots of customers who complain that they got the wrong color or something might actually then have an income tax consequence for you. If you are actually interacting with them through email or chat, in the FTB's view, it could cause you to lose the protection of 86072. In my view, it seems aggressive, but we'll have to wait. I think some of these scenarios will probably be you know, decided by courts down, down the road. Okay. So... Example three. Yes, soliciting and receiving online applications for branded credit cards through the business website. I think here the FTB says that that is not a protected 
activity. And I think their view is credit card activity is not the sale of tangible personal property. That's a financing type of business. And so it is not the solicitation of orders for tangible personal property. That seems right. If you are in the state engaging in credit card activities, then you're definitely not engaged in solicitation of orders for tangible personal property. Yes, I agree. Example one and two are very aggressive. Example three makes sense. Yes, yes. Number four, placing on the business's website an invitation for California viewers to apply for non-sales positions within the business. That is also not okay, according to the FTB. Again, I just have to wonder, you know, this is activity that a business does outside of California. They run, maintain their website, place a ad for... For social media specialist. Right, right. And California is saying, oh, you know, that is outside the activities allowed by public law 806072. And I just have to continue to ask, well, but that activity is not in California. That's an activity that's occurring, you know, in another state or in another country. How can that possibly be viewed as an activity in California that is outside of solicitation? So it's, um, it is, in my view, uh, somewhat aggressive. Yes, I agree. I could imagine that they would struggle to get this through in court. If you start employing non-sales position in California, then yes, by all means. But just having an ad on the website for a sales position outside of California. Oh, so it would be a sales position, a non-sales position inside of California. Is it only an issue if you specify that it has to be in California or anywhere in, in the US? No, I think it would have to be in California. I think if you were soliciting applications for a position in New York State, I find California hard-pressed to say, oh, you know, you've done something in California that is not protected. But it's possible because if the applicant is in California, even though the position is in New York State, I think California would say, ah, caught you. That is an in-state activity that is outside the definition of solicitation of orders for tangible personal property. And that's continues to be, in my view, very aggressive. Apparently, what this technical advice memorandum demonstrates is California is taking the view that interactions through the internet with people in California create some type of in-state presence for purposes of 86272 that then they can evaluate. Is that in-state presence within the definition of solicitation or outside the definition of solicitation. And that's that will have to be tested, I think. Example five? Well, number five is a perfect example of you know, California's aggressive thinking. So placing on California customers' computers or other electronic devices software cookies that gather customer search information for use in adjusting production schedules and inventory amounts, developing new products or identifying new items to offer for sale. I think in that case, again, um, you know, is there some physical presence in California that you can say is outside of solicitation? I think that's the real question. One, I think there's a question of who places the cookie. Is it the out-of-state retailer that places the cookie or is it the Googles and you know the others who are constantly trying to gather information about users? Are they the ones placing the cookies? And I don't think this kind of gets into all of that kind of technical nuance that we would want to certainly understand better. But let's say it's the example where you're an out-of-state seller you have an IT department, they create a cookie, and then they force anyone who goes onto their website to download it. California says that that is you know, some type of in-state activity, and that will have to be tested. Other states have similar cookie software rules. So California is not an outlier in that 
regard, but I think they are with those other states that are very aggressive. Number six, remotely fixing or upgrading California customers' previously purchased products by transmitting code or other electronic instructions to those products over the internet. California would say that that is also not an okay activity. Again, you know, it's aggressive, I think, to take the position that some activity that really is taking place outside the state and the sending of data through the internet causes you to have a physical presence in California. Although for this example, you know, it sounds like they're talking about maybe software, but I guess it could be hardware too that has embedded software in it. So 86272 could apply if it's tangible products that are being purchased that have some software components that need code to be downloaded. And then example seven is basically as aggressive warranty plans. Yeah, I think it is also aggressive. It's one thing to offer the warranty. And if you're only doing that, there doesn't seem to be much in-state activity to go along with that. And you could have warranties, for example, where we agree to provide some type of guarantee for the product. And if there's a malfunction, then the customer in California has to send the product outside the state to be fixed and then it's sent back in. I don't think that there would be a physical presence. But again, California is hinging its position on that the sale of the warranty is through the company's website. So I think all of this will have to be tested. I mean, it's undoubtedly true that in 1959, when Congress wrote Public Law 86272, they probably had none of this in mind. But by analogy, you can imagine that Even in the 1950s, you could buy a product from out of state and have it also come with a warranty that maybe you obtain through a telephone conversation. Is that very different from an interaction over a website? Uh, I don't know. I think those are the issues that we'll have to see challenged at some point and decided by courts. Yes. And so now we come to example eight. And that is about a marketplace facilitator. And a marketplace facilitator, for example, is Amazon. It wouldn't be Shopify, but Amazon or Walmart or Etsy, yeah. places like that. And so they can also destroy the protection from PL 86272. They can. And what is unclear to me from this fact pattern is if you use Amazon and you have them fulfill your sales and you provide them with the inventory... In this example, it doesn't say that the inventory is in California or not in California. They say various states. And that is a big problem because a lot of distribution centers won't actually tell you where the inventory is. What they do is they have distribution centers all over the states. They watch where your orders come from and then they decide where they want to hold your inventory so that they can fulfill quickly with low shipping costs. So they basically reserve the right to store your product wherever they want to and so that of course makes it very complicated for income tax because your product might be stored in various states yes and you may not know about it and you may know the the warehouse where you originally sent the inventory but then it may get physically moved or it may just get virtually moved i've heard of situations where inventory is stored in one warehouse but different inventory owned by a different party also using Amazon to fulfill services is stored in a different warehouse. And if they want to make a sale, they may just virtually transfer the inventory to that other location so that then they can ship it. So basically swap identical inventory items. Yes, yes, yes. Because if I go onto the web, Amazon's website and I'm buying it from seller A, 
but seller A's inventory is in a faraway state, but seller B right next door has that inventory. Amazon can do that too, is my understanding. So if you are using a marketplace facilitator, they are storing your inventory. If the warehouse is in California, of course, you're going to lose 86272 protection because you have inventory in the state. If the inventory is in a warehouse outside of California... Then they're basically saying, if it's all over the US and you don't really know where it is, then we will just treat anything that is sold to California as having come from a Californian fulfillment center. Yes, yes. And I think that is somewhat aggressive. Unfortunately, this fact pattern, which I, I think is troubling because it doesn't give much detail related to the marketplace facilitator's location, whether they are in California or not, the location of the inventory. You could read this in a very broad way that, you know, if you're using a, a marketplace facilitator, well, you just don't have 86272 anywhere. But I suspect that you need more connection than that with the state of California. So we'll have to see how this develops. Yes, because at the moment, the comment regarding example eight basically says if there is a possibility that inventory is in California, you don't have protection, you are up for income tax. But of course, only if you exceed the economic nexus thresholds. But, you know, one threshold is 63,000 for personal property, for personal tangible property. So if your inventory stored in California is more than 63,000, you're already straight away up for Californian income tax. Yes, that's true. So this example eight is a big problem for e-commerce businesses that are storing their inventory with Amazon or any other distribution center that moves inventory around. So Amazon should be worried about this because it makes them less attractive. I think so. I think it does make Amazon services less attractive. But until it becomes a big issue, they probably won't do anything. I can't imagine that they would go to the state of California and say, oh, no, this is not correct. You have to change it. I think they would just sit tight because it's really tax imposed on the sellers, not on Amazon. My gut feeling is that you have a huge tax gap in California. My gut feeling is that there would be thousands of overseas sellers who have inventory in California and are selling into California through Amazon fulfillment and are not even aware of the issue of Californian income tax. I think that's right. I think that there's probably an enormous number of sellers who potentially could be at risk because of this aggressive technical advice memorandum. And I could see that becoming an issue. It would not be very difficult for the Franchise Tax Board, which administers the income tax in California, to just ask Amazon and other marketplace facilitators for the information, who the sellers are who are using their platform and where their inventory is stored. Yes, Amazon definitely has that information because you can download a report from the Amazon website where your inventory is. So you don't have any control over where your inventory goes, but you can get a report that tells you where it is. And so if Amazon can give this report to you, then of course, they can also give this report to the FTB. Right. And on the sales tax side, which is different from what we're talking about, my understanding is that states have obtained that information from Amazon and gone after the out-of-state 
sellers. Yes, but Amazon collects the sales tax on behalf of the out-of-state sellers. They do now, but before uh, 2019, I think, um, they did not. And so that was a very big issue. There was a tax gap on sales and use tax as well. And so now they just get this information to identify missing use tax, correct? Yes. Is the FTB a little bit like the IIS in terms of completely understaffed and hence not very active in enforcing compliance? No, they're actually much more rigorous than the IRS. They are better staffed and they are very rigorous in their audits and reviews when they decide to examine a, a taxpayer. And do you have the feeling that this is across the US, that while the IIS seems to be this sleeping giant in a way, at least when you're a small taxpayer and not a huge company, is the, your impression that the state revenue collection offices are a lot more active in enforcing compliance than IIS? That's a great question. I think it varies by state. I think the big states like California and New York are very active and their tax departments are very robust. They are staffed so that they can take on complicated issues and they can pursue them as far as issues need to be pursued, like the IRS. Unlike the IRS, they are aggressive and they're not a sleeping giant. They are a giant, but they are um, you know, aggressively looking for ways to close the tax gap and make sure that the proper amount of tax is paid in their view. And I think this technical advice memorandum is kind of an example of their efforts to continue to kind of go after taxpayers. In their view, they would be saying, you know, we're just ensuring that we're getting the right amount. But, you know, I think that this technical advice memorandum shows that they're taking somewhat aggressive positions. Just uh, quickly off topic, talking about the IAS, I understand that there was a bill in front of Congress to fund, I think, two or three billion to the IAS to seriously address their staffing issues. Is that bill through? So is there time we can foresee that the IAS will wake up? Sorry, that answer is outdated because we recorded this just the day before the Senate passed the 1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill. So on the 10th of March, the Senate passed 68 to 31, the 1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill setting fiscal 2022 spending limits. The um, bill increases defense spending by nearly 6% and non-defense spending by nearly 7%. And most importantly for us, the bill includes a 6% funding increase for the IIS. And I'm just reading this now from the news clip. A 6% funding increase for the IIS, an unusually big rise for the agency, but far short of the 14% jump in a spending bill the House passed in July 2021. End of quote. So the IIS is going to have more money, not a lot more. 6% is good, but not as much. But the IIS got a 6% spending bill increase. Back to Ed and Helen. Coming back to the FTP. So this example 8 in the technical advice memorandum, which I noticed you called TAM. So example 8 in the Californian TAM is of great concern to e-commerce, to out-of-state e-commerce sellers who are using Amazon or any 3PL service provider who has multiple warehouses and doesn't give any guarantee about where the warehouses are if, and has, of course, has a warehouse in California, which most 3PL, actually, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say most 3PL service providers would have a warehouse in 
California, but that, of course, is not true. Some 3PLs just focus on a certain corner of the US and don't worry about California. But when you choose a 3PL provider, you really need to ask where their warehouses are and if they have warehouses in aggressive tax states like California or New York, you need to get an understanding whether your inventory could end up in those warehouses, correct? Yes, yes, absolutely. And if you have any control on whether they can move the inventory around like Amazon does, that would be very important to understand. And then the last example where you don't get protection from the public law is example nine. Yes, contracting with California customers to stream videos and music to electronic devices for a charge. I think, again, in my view... That would not be okay in the FTB's view. And I think the reason there must be that streaming videos or music is not the sale of tangible personal property. So if that is your business, it's kind of quasi-service. I'm not surprised that 86272 would not apply in the eyes of the FTB. So that means Netflix has to pay income tax in California. Yes. I mean, if they weren't based here, which they are, but if they weren't based here, yes, if they were out of state selling into California and say that's all they did, they didn't do any other activities, I don't think they could reasonably take a position that 86272 applies. But just like any other entity, Netflix would only pay income tax in California based on the sales to Californian customers, correct? That's right. And it would be on an apportioned basis. So you would take Netflix's worldwide income or it could be domestic income, depending on certain elections that they make. And then you take a fraction of that based on their sales to California versus sales everywhere. So it's the sales factor apportionment. So now we come to the good examples, 10, 11 and 12, where we do get the protection from PL 86272. Yeah, so the Franchise Tax Board says, in fact, pattern number 10, providing post-sale assistance to California customers by posting a static list of frequently asked questions on the business's website. So here, I think the distinction that the FTB is making is that in example 10, there is no interaction between the out-of-state seller and the customer in California, whereas in example number two, there is interaction. There's the live chat and email interaction. But merely posting a list of frequently asked questions in the FTB's view would not cause you to lose the protection of 86-272. So you'd still be protected and immune from the California income tax. Example number 11, placing on California customers' computers or other electronic devices cookies that gather customer information for uses ancillary to soliciting orders for tangible personal property. For example, remembering items added to a customer shopping cart during a web session, storing personal information provided by the customer, reminding the customer of items they considered on prior visits to the website. So here they are making a distinction between software cookies that are ancillary or related to the solicitation of orders and those other types of software cookies that are outside of solicitation of orders. Again, it kind of begs the question, is the placing of a cookie on a customer's website, even assuming it's done by the out-of-state retailer and not by some intermediary like Google, does that constitute a activity in California. So to be decided later. And then turning to the final 
Example number 12, offering only tangible personal property for sale on the business's website with the website allowing customers to search for items, read product descriptions, purchase items, and select delivery options. Assume that the business does not engage in any California business activities not described in the fact pattern. So there they're saying going to a website, your only activity on that website is related to solicitation and purchase, then that is okay. Yes. So example 12 is basically the scenario that Congress had in mind when they issued PL 86-272 in 1959. Yes, rather than an in-person visit from a salesperson knocking on your door. Yes. But that also then means that, you know how you weren't sure before whether it is an issue if you don't have salespeople on the ground, but you just sell through a website. So example 12 basically means it's fine. That is not an issue. I think so. I think that's a very good point. So yeah, I agree that this example number 12 suggests that you do not need to actually be in the state soliciting sales, which I think is what Congress had envisioned when they enacted 86-272. The FTB is saying, no, if you are not in the state at all, but you just have a passive website, you will be still considered to be protected by uh, 86-272. While the public law 86-272 is for all 50 states in the US, it is only relevant for the ones who have income tax, of course, but it's it applies to the entirety of the US. We now just went through the technical advice memorandum that was issued by California. So this advice memorandum, of course, only applies to California. But it is quite possible that the position that California takes will probably be mirrored in some shape or form by other states as well. So it's it's good to look at the thinking process, even if you're not in California, but in a different state. Absolutely. California is a member of this organization called the Multi-State Tax Commission, which is members of other states and their tax agencies. This technical advice memorandum actually was part of the discussions that they were having at the Multi-State Tax Commission. I would expect the MTC to come out with very similar guidance that would be recommended guidance for other states to follow if they haven't already done so, actually. But also, California is a very influential state in the world of state taxation in the United States. So I imagine many if not all other states that have income taxes, would be looking and considering what California is doing. Welcome back. So if you want to shelter in a low-tax state, make sure you don't lose the protection of PL 86272. In the next update, number 29, Edward Entelin will go through a number of questions about California state taxes, filling the gaps and clearing up any misunderstandings. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next update. <music>